Lord, well, I'm sure happy you came to church. I've missed it. I missed our church. That's a good sign. Um, the last couple of weeks uh, with a group of people in Israel, uh, fantastic time. I'll tell you this. It was amazing to me how much I learned personally. I'd actually never been before. And in 10 days in Israel, especially with this very unique, brilliant, brilliant person that uh, was our guide and teacher, I looked at him at the end of the trip and I said, I learned more from you in these two areas, culture and geography and how that affects the text than I learned in four years of undergraduate and two years of graduate school. It was just an amazingly helpful time for me. And I hope that more of us get to go. Hello to all my friends watching out in Sydney. Hope you're doing great out there. Everybody online. I just got a word. There's a group of people in North Dakota and another one in South Dakota that uh, they live in rural places and they're coming together watching service. So if you guys are watching this service, I'm so happy you joined us as well. And actually, thanks to everybody who's in the room. It's good that you're here. So we are going to start a new series, and we're calling it 33 AD, the original. This is when the church started, almost 2,000 years ago. And we're just going to be examining over the next several weeks, oh, some of what made the church as unique as it was. Think of it. This guy named Jesus, Yeshua, uh, Ben Yosef, Jesus, the son of Joseph is in a a tiny little town. He's born in a town that had between 100 and 200 people. It's a village, okay, little Bethlehem. And he grows up in Nazareth, which is kind of in the, yeah, it's kind of the backwater. It's the working class area of Israel. And at the time, Rome is in power. They've conquered all the known world. And here's this guy named Jesus who really, we don't know anything about what he did until he's 30 years old. Uh, He isn't your traditional rabbi, but all of a sudden he begins this teaching and not just teaching, but he begins to change people's lives physically, spiritually, emotionally, you name it. He's, He's speaking things about God that no one else had even considered. And he's doing things in terms of restoring and healing human beings that no one else had been able to do. And how is it that in this geographically isolated place with only 12 specific disciples, that by 313 AD, Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire, kind of just taps out. They've been trying to, some of the emperors before him have been trying to get rid of Christianity. They saw it as this tremendous threat. It threatened their worship of the old Greek and Roman gods, and so they're trying to squelch it, but they can't fight it. And by 313 AD, it's estimated that between 10 and 20% of the Roman Empire were following Jesus. 10 to 20%. How, how had this happened? Well, we have these glimpses, especially in the book of Acts. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look a lot at Acts. We're going to look at all these books that talk about what's happening in the early church. But here's kind of our overriding scripture we'll look at for the next few weeks. It's the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47, it gives this very concise description of what is happening. Now, this is months, just months after Jesus has been crucified and then resurrected. And this is what we read is happening in Jerusalem. Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, that word is interesting, but it's, it's true community would probably be the best way for us to describe it in English to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Okay, this isn't like a boring snooze through church, right? 
They're filled with awe. What does awe mean? Awe means they are amazed at what Jesus taught them. They're amazed that they're forgiven. They're amazed that people's lives are being transformed. I mean, there's just this sense of awe. They're filled with gratefulness and wonder towards God at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So this thing that Jesus began, restoring broken lives, is now continuing even though Jesus is no longer present. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple court. So if you feel like it's a lot to try to come to church once a week, they went every day. It's a lot of church. I grew up almost every day. We were like four times a week. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. This is a line that I'd love for us to concentrate on. They enjoyed the favor of all the people. That's not just people who were in their church. They were enjoying the favor of their culture. Those outside of this belief system. The people who lived around them said, we like these people that follow Jesus. They're great employees. They are kind, they're caring, they're compassionate. They live in this radical new fashion. And so the people observing like, gave them favors. Those people are great. They're fantastic, the way they live, the way they think. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I'll read that. And I mean, I get pretty excited. I mean, maybe I'm not super excited about selling everything I have and um, giving it to the church. Like those of us who are like in a really tight spot right now are like, that's a great idea, right? Those of us like, I've been saving for retirement. No way. Are you kidding me? Um, but the rest of it, you read that and you think, wow. And you read something like that and you go, what's happened? No, I'll tell you, I see glimpses of this. Even in our community, I love it. I mean, I, there's nothing I love more than Easter. We had like 90 people being baptized and you just, you just feel like this, this is what it's about. There's something healthy. There's something beautiful happening. And yet every now and then, I don't know, anybody ever seen any dysfunction in the church? Not perfect, are we? What, what is it from this ancient description of the first believers it's changed. What needs to be maintained? There's unprecedented, unprecedented community. There's unprecedented growth. What is it that we hold on to? Because styles and culture changes, right? But what are those essentials that are so important for us to grasp? Now, if maybe you're not at this point in your life a follower of Jesus, listen to this. Um, I, I think it's going to help you to understand and maybe walk through why you've seen inconsistencies in the church. Typically, when I talk to people, most people don't have a problem with Jesus or his teachings, but they have a problem with me and you, right? Because they've seen people who have been inconsistent. Well, this gives you a, a glimpse of what all this was meant to be. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, I'm going to say some things today that are probably going to offend you, but hang on a second, okay? Hang on, you're going to see why. You're going to see why. So hold on to some labels loosely. So you ever noticed uh, it's a little bit hard to define this word Christian? Anybody? Have you ever said this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a Christian, but 
not like that person or not like that guy on TV. I'm not that type of Christian. Anybody ever felt like they had to distinguish between them and someone else? Yeah, 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 I am, but uh, well, let's talk for a second about this word Christian because this is what I want to do in the next several minutes. Let's talk about Christian. Let's talk maybe about another title for followers of Jesus that would be more appropriate because I think the title Christian can sometimes work against us. So here's how Webster defines a Christian, a person who believes in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So believes in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Now, I think there's an inherent problem in this definition because it has to do with this key word, belief, belief. And so this title Christian is placed on someone who believes, but I wonder if there's more to a follower of Jesus than just what they believe. If you Google, if you Google, what is a Christian, you will get 43,200,000 answers. If you Google who is a Christian, you will get 43,300,000 answers. How can that be? 43 million hits. Well, here's one of the challenges. The word Christian is never defined in the Bible. In fact, it's only used three times. Three times. Now, the, the, the word comes from a Latin term, it would be Christus, uh, meaning they're followers of this Christ. And that's probably why you could look at maybe World War II and you could find people who say, I am a Christian on both sides of that war. You could look at any political, financially controversial, any a political party system today, and you'll find people that identify as a Christian but they are very, very opposed to one another in many of the core or fundamental things that they believe. So this word Christian, I don't think it always helps us. So how would we define Christian? Well, some people say it's if you're part of a certain denomination. Have you noticed that there are certain churches that are the church of Jesus or God or Christ? I always think, well, what about us? Because they are the the I think, well, we're one of them, I hope. Uh, so sometimes it's a denomination. Sometimes it has to do with, depending on your tradition, whether you're baptized, whether you were confirmed, whether you have membership in a church, whether you actually practice spiritual disciplines. Maybe some would say Christian is a worldview or it's a behavior. We really don't have a great definition for Christian. So here's the origins of the word Christian. I want to look at the three places in the New Testament where it's actually used and then move on to perhaps a better definition. So it's used in three different places. The first is Acts chapter 11. Here's the setting. <clears throat> it's that j just what we read from Acts chapter 2. The church has been spreading and there are men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They're, they're unknown, but they've met Jesus. And then in uh, Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen is going to be the first martyr in the church. And because of his death, the Christians begin to flee. They, they realize it's not healthy for us to stay here. There's uh, the, the Jewish hierarchy is coming against them. And so these men from Cyprus, Cyrene, go all the way into Antioch. 
and they're reaching people who are non-Jewish and reports come back and say, hey, we don't even know who went up there. But what we're experiencing here in Jerusalem is happening up in Antioch. There's life change, there's believers. So they send their friend Barnabas. They say, Barnabas, you gotta go up and tell us what's going on there. Barnabas goes, says he finds many believers in the city. This great phrase, it says, there was great joy in that city. They're experiencing this dynamic change. And so what does Barnabas do? He's like, I need help. There are hundreds, maybe even thousands of followers of Jesus in Antioch. So he goes and he finds a man named Paul, Saul, Paul, both names. Saul was his previous name. And he says, Paul, you've got to come back. We've got to teach these people. They're so filled with enthusiasm. The church is expanding. And so then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Now, it appears, or at least possible, that in the context, it was actually a pejorative or a, uh, a negative term. The, the people who weren't Christians looked at them, they go, we don't even know what these people are. We'll call them Christus, we'll call them Christians. So that's the first place it's used. Now, move on to Acts chapter 26, verse 28. Um, this is where Paul is now on trial and he's standing before the Roman governor, uh, excuse me, the King Agrippa. And he says this, then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? So Agrippa's saying, Paul, I hear your defense. You're telling me what happened to you. You're telling me how your life changed, but you honestly think that here in your trial, you can persuade me to become this Christian. And then here's the third and final time that it's used anywhere in the Bible. It's from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, anybody guilty of being a meddler? These above, I'm a little more familiar with, right? Murderer, thief, got it, not doing that. Meddler? I don't like that. That's too broad. I might be meddling right now. I'm not even sure about it. So don't, don't be a meddler, okay? However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So this is the first time and last time it's used in this way. He says, if you actually suffer under this title that people have placed on us, if government, if some of the religious establishment comes against you and you suffer under this title of Christian, don't be ashamed. Be happy that you bear that name. It wasn't your title. In fact, they never called themselves that. Jesus never used the word Christian. We don't have it recorded anywhere. So for the early church, this term Christian was placed on them. And they had to learn to deal with it and walk with it. One of the problems with this term Christian is that it is a label that is never defined. And it's so broad and it's so general that some people would say, because I'm born in a certain country, I'm a Christian. Because uh, I have family members that attend church on Christmas, I'm a Christian. But I think there's more to it than that. 
I, I think it gets a little watered down. So let's move on to another word. It's the word that the church actually used to describe themselves. It's the word that Jesus used to describe his followers. And it's the word disciple, disciple. Disciple, in, in Greek, it's this word mathetes. Mathetes, one who follows, one who learns from, one who pursues. So Jesus looks at his followers and he calls them not Christians, but he calls them disciples. And here's the problem with this word. See, Christian, just about anybody can use that label because it's not defined. I can make it pretty much whatever I want. This word disciple is a much, much more challenging word because it's very clearly defined and it comes with some expectations. It comes with some forms of thinking and behavior that are stretching. Let's talk a little bit about what it means to be a disciple. I'm going to show you a picture. This is a, a place that literally one week ago, I was sitting with 58 people from Faith Chapel here. This is Capernaum. Capernaum. It's right on the north of the Lake of Galilee. This is where Jesus moved after he left Nazareth. He was a, a technon. He was a, a worker with his hands, most likely. I know we talk a lot about him being a carpenter, but when you go to Israel, there's no wood anywhere. <laughs> they built everything out of stones. And so Jesus was a mason, most likely. The, the word technon doesn't mean carpenter. It means uh, someone who builds. And this is the synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus would frequent. This is a synagogue where he read different texts. And we were able, we sat down right here on this side and listened to the teaching. And whoever was the, the, the person to read, typically some sort of rabbi, would have stood right here in the middle on, on these very stones and would have read out loud. The Hebrews divided up their reading into 52 parts. And so there was a certain part read every week. And we sat there and I, I was just, I was filled with amazement. And the, the, uh, the teacher on this trip was talking about first century Jewish education. And basically all they studied, especially for young men, it was only the first five books of the Bible known to them as the Torah and by the time you were 13, you would have had these first five books memorized because you would have put it to song. You would have repeated it over and over. And at that point, then at 13, you were released typically to go learn a trade. However, however, a few students that showed exceptional promise would often be asked by a rabbi, a teacher to say, follow me, which meant we see in you the capacity to really begin to understand the scriptures and to be a teacher. And so the rabbi would invite them into an apprenticeship. And wherever the rabbi went, the disciple went. They learned everything that the rabbi had to offer. You dedicated yourself to this rabbi, this teacher. That's what a disciple was. Now Jesus uses this term when 
he shows up to the Lake of Galilee and he finds a group of fishermen. He finds a tax collector. He finds some people that were likely farmers. And they were already, they were in their late teens, most likely. They'd been passed over. They weren't the exceptional people who already had a rabbi. They were out working trades. They were earning a living. And Jesus says, follow me. Come be my disciple. Follow this rabbi. And for them, it's a big risk because he's not the type of rabbi that's been recognized by the Jewish religious system. He's a little bit of an upstart. We don't know where he learned all these things. And we don't know how he's doing all these miracles. But 12 of them said, we're going to follow our rabbi. So you read about their sacrifice. Some of them walked away from businesses where they would have had boats and they're fishing. One of them walked away. Matthew walked away from being a tax collector. He worked for the Roman government. And he says, okay, I'm following you. And for the next three years, everywhere Jesus went, they went. Because they were his disciples. A little different than the word Christian. Christian is basically, I believe the teachings of Jesus. Well, there are a lot of people that believe a lot of things about the teachings of Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows their teacher, follows the rabbi. Now, I want to read a section of scripture from the book of John. This is Jesus' last night with his disciples, it has to do with actually communion that we just celebrated. And he's going to do an incredible amount of teaching. He, he's, he's getting the truth out, his last words to them. And he's going to clearly define this idea of disciple. Let's read together. John chapter 13, we'll read verses 33 through 38. My children, the phrase that a rabbi would use for his disciples, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. Now, this is a, this is a really interesting phrase because up to this point in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, had 611 laws. Okay, they had plenty of commands, all right? But Jesus is going to say, I'm actually going to give you a new command and the word new here isn't just like no one's ever said this before, but I'm going to give you a command and I'm going to elevate it to the, to the top of the heap. Okay. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. There's the word. How will they know that you're my disciples? If you love one another. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? I love this. Because Jesus just laid down a really difficult phrase. Okay, I'm putting this command at the top of the heap. I want you to love people. Here's what's going to distinguish you from people who believe in God, from people who are religious, is the way that you love each other. As I loved you, you're going to begin to love. And I love Peter because I think I'd do the same thing. Remember previously Jesus said, I'm going somewhere you can't go. Peter's like, Hey, where are you going? Right? Let's not talk about that love thing. I just like, where are you going? Like, wh where is that? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. I think this is beautiful because even when we talk about this word disciple and what a difficult and hard word it is, I love that there's room for 
people who are imperfect. Because we know that after this, Peter will build his own. He won't even acknowledge that he knows Jesus on three different occurrences. There's room for a disciple. They're imperfect people. But how are they defined? They're defined as people who love in an exceptional way. A love that it's not typical, it's, it's not natural. It's, it's different, it's supernatural. It's, it's what we read about in Acts chapter two of people living, people with different backgrounds, people with different ideas on how the world should operate. But this beautiful love for other human beings. I want to read one more passage of scripture that will help us understand this disciple and love, love and discipleship. This is in the book of 1 John. It would be towards the very end of your Bible. John was there that night when Jesus said, this is how all men will know that you're my disciple, by the way you love one another. John, I mean, he went through it all. He, um, he moves to Ephesus. Uh, he leads the church there. We know this. Uh, he's, he's approximately 98 years old. It's the last sermon he ever preaches. And we're told that he can't move anymore. He's, he's lost the use of his legs. And so they bring him in on a stretcher. And he, all he can do is laying on a stretcher, he raises himself to his elbow and he has a two-word sermon, his final sermon. He says, love one another. Agape Elias. And he lays back down. Final words that he spoke to his church. I mean, he, he, he captured this thing that Jesus was talking about. He understood discipleship. It was more than just a label. It was a way of life. And so this is what he writes towards the end of his life as he reflects back on these last 30 or 40 years of following Jesus' teachings. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. Now, that's fascinating. If you love, there's been something unique. There's been a, a rebirth in you, okay? And knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. And he's reflecting back to that night. He's reflecting back to the next day when Jesus would die in front of his eyes. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. How in the world did the message of Jesus spread across the world? It, it wasn't through incredibly organized religion. Do you know that we, we don't have any archaeological evidence of a church building until right around 298 AD? It wasn't because they built beautiful buildings. That, that only started after Constantine in 313 announced that Christianity was now the, the, the Roman official religion. Then they started building churches everywhere. 
It wasn't because they had these beautiful facilities. It wasn't because they had great corporate offices. What was it that changed the world? This is it. It was because people were disciples of Jesus. And they loved. They loved. They loved in ways that changed the world. I want to skip ahead in my notes for just a moment. I want to read you something. Emperor Julian, right about 358 AD, was deeply concerned because Christianity had spread throughout the Roman Empire. Now, Constantine, Emperor Constantine, had legalized and made it the official religion in 313. And it grows, but along comes Julian, and he wants, he wants the Romans to go back. He's like, why in the world, people, are you worshiping this Jesus guy? Like, he was, he was killed. We murdered him. We put him on a cross like murderers and thieves die. And so he's just confounded. So he's trying to get Rome. So 313, they became Christians. He's trying to get Rome to go backwards. He's saying, please, let's go back to our ancient religions. He feels like they've abandoned the religion of their past. And so he writes this. This is an observation that he writes. Emperor Julian, about 358 AD. These impious Galileans, okay, Galilee, uh, not only feed their own, but ours also, welcoming, welcoming them with agape. So this is a, a Greek word for love. It's this brotherly love. It's a sacrificial love. It's not just tolerance, not just being nice to people. It's not shaking hands. Like they really love, they put it into action, welcoming them with agape. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. This is the frustrating thing about these disciples of Jesus is they love everybody and everybody's drawn to that. Just like if you, we would probably say you handed out candy to kids. I guess in the old days, they handed out cakes, right? I just heard for the first time the other day, the ice cream truck in my neighborhood, right? And when, when the ice cream cup comes, people find it. He's saying, in that same way, the way they love people, it attracts new people to the church away from the old Roman gods, like children running to cakes. Whilst the pagan priests, that means his priests, okay? The priests who say, worship Jupiter, worship Zeus, worship Diana, Aphrodite. Whilst the pagan priests, our priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity and by a display of false compassion have established and given effect to their pernicious errors. Such practice is common among them and causes contempt for our gods. Here's a man who is violently opposed to the Galileans, the disciples of Jesus. And he says, I'm having a hard time as emperor, getting people to worship our former gods. Because these Christians love each other so much and they don't just love people who show up at their church. They love the poor, they love the broken, they love the needy. We don't even take care of our own broken. But these Christians, they take seriously these words of their rabbi Jesus. They're supposed to love as their rabbi loved them. Ladies and gentlemen, that's 
what made Christianity exceptional. That's what kept it growing. That's what's kept it around. But I think it will always, always be a struggle for every one of us, for you and for me, to say, is it easier to be called a Christian? Because if I call myself a Christian, there is really, there's literally no expectations attached to that. (laughs) I'm a Christian. Well, what kind of Christian? Like a serious one or a not so serious one? But if we're disciples, it's not so much about what I believe. Jesus says, here's how they'll, they'll know you're my disciple. It's by the way you love one another. We tend to define Christian by what one believes. Jesus defined his followers by the way that they loved. The early church took this seriously. God loves everyone I will ever meet and died for them as an atoning sacrifice, First John says. Now, I mean, I, I like reading that on this page, but that's a whole lot more difficult to live out, isn't it? Because when I say everyone, that means the president of your homeowners association, the people I work for, the people I work with, that problematic customer I've always dealt with. It means that lady who when I was at the restaurant who forgot my order. It means that, that person that called, I've been getting all these telemarketer calls and I just, I'm like, you know, I want to say something mean. And I, it's been a rough week because I keep thinking, and Jesus loves this person and died for them as an atoning sacrifice. Everyone I ever meet. And if I took that seriously, rather than just attaching a label onto my belief system, but I really associated the thing that Jesus said would distinguish his followers. That means everyone I meet, no matter how irritating they are, they are fully loved by God. And he died for them to atone for everything that they'd ever done wrong, to atone for their irritability, to atone for the things that they do that bother me. See, Jesus took this commandment and he said, if we could do this, if we could love in the way that I loved you, So what I love about this rabbi Jesus is he doesn't say, hey, 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 now all you guys, you start loving. He says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what it means to love. I'm going to go to a cross. And with a blink of my eye, I I could make everything change. I could take away all of the pain and all of the embarrassment that I'm about to go through. But because of love, I will show you. I will show you what it means to love. And now, the rabbi we follow loved us. And once I've experienced that love, he says, and now you begin to love that way. See, that's different than a label. It's a way of life. 
I've been asking myself all week, and it, it's frustrating. Nate, what if you took this seriously? What if you loved that way? What if the thing that made you stand out wasn't how much of the Bible you knew? Wasn't about a bumper sticker on your car? It was the way you love people. What if? What if we could reconnect with this in a new way? What if, what if fathers of teenage girls who weren't, weren't, weren't believers, what if they said, man, I see the way those Christian teenage men treat women. I sure hope my daughter marries a Christian. <laughs> That'd be great. What if uh, bosses, employees said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't go to church I'm not sure I believe that, but I'll tell you what, every disciple of Jesus I hire, they're the best employees. They make the office better. They make the job site better. They care. They care about me. They care about the people they work with. They care about the patients. They care about the students. What if? I think that's what Jesus was saying. It's what made the church exceptional. And I think it's what still makes the church exceptional. I want to love in a new way. I don't want to settle for a label, Christian. I want to be a disciple. I want to follow the rabbi. And if my rabbi went to a cross and said, I am going to show you love, I want to love like that. I want to make Julian or whoever's in power in 2017 really frustrated with me trying to get rid of these Christians, but they are so loving. It's frustrating me to death. I can't get people, like, wouldn't it be great? Local, like, I don't know, local Satanists is like, those people, they just keep loving. It's driving me nuts. I can't get anybody to follow me. Bring it on. What, what, what if, what if the, the pimps and the porn kings showed up and they're like, you guys... You just love everybody, and it's ruining business for me. Well, I like it. You pray with me. Lord, I want to pray for all of us. Lord, we don't want to settle for being labeled as a Christian. We want to be disciples. I pray for young people in the room, students. Lord, maybe when they go to school, there's even a stigma associated with being a Christian. Lord, I pray that there would be a stigma associated with being a disciple, but it would be a stigma that would have favor. You teach us how to walk through the hallways of schools and love the way we were loved by Jesus. I pray for those of us who are single in the room. Lord, I pray that we would be known by the way we honor, love, and treat the people around us. God, I pray for those who are married. What we'd be known is that's where women treat their husbands the best and men honor and care for their wives. 
Lord, in everything we do, this is stretching for us. God, you know me. At my core, I'm introverted. I want to observe. But you tell me to love. And would we all step forward in being disciples, following the rabbi as he loves this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. We love because he first loved us. Please um, go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Love like he loved. Challenge yourself in a new way this week. If you need prayer for anything, there's people up front. If you need a Bible, you have questions about Jesus, stop by the Welcome Center out there. Free Bibles, I'd love to get that in your hands. God bless you.